If you've always wondered how successful organizations reinvent their people and work strategy, then you've come to the right podcast. I'm Esther Martinez, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at People Matters. Join me as I talk to some of the biggest names in HR and business in the Asia-Pacific region, here on People Matters Unplugged. Today, our episode takes us to Singapore, ranked as one of the most competitive and most diverse epicenters of talent in the world. Singapore's adult population has a literacy rate of more than 97%, and it's home to professionals from diverse cultures and backgrounds, from young professionals who are just about to begin their career to the most highly regarded decision makers in the business world. Here to talk about the growth of Singapore its commitment to human capital development is a leader who needs no introduction. A dear friend of our brand, a role model for many of us, Peckham Law, CHRO and advisor of workforce development at the Singapore Public Service Division and elected president for SHRI, the Singapore Human Resources Institute. Peckham is a seasoned HR leader, passionate about impact, passionate about giving back to the business and HR community. A very, very warm welcome, Peckham. Thank you for having me, Esther. I'm grateful for for where I am today and my ability to still continue to contribute back into the community. And especially for being in a geography where there are ample opportunities for me to be able to give back to the community. And, you know, this is how we all learn together, grow together, and make sure that, you know, the society and the community that we live in really flourish and, and doing good for all. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Pekem. And we're full of gratitude for having you here today. As we go into our conversation, as, as I said, the focus area today is a lot about uh, Singapore and Singapore's success in talent transformation, not only at an organizational level, many organizations from Singapore are examples of talent transformation, but also at the national level. And we love to to, to invite you to share a little bit about what's been the role of public sector, especially public services uh, as a unique organization, being Singapore's largest employer and also being a trendsetter of employment practices. So tell us a little bit about uh, public service as an organization and how is that fueling the Singapore agenda and setting the trend for talent practices across different organizations in Singapore? Well, Esther, like you rightly pointed out, the Singapore Public Service is the single largest employer in Singapore. And, and also because Singapore as a country is really, you know, we don't have any natural resources apart from our people. So it then makes a lot of sense for us to make sure that a lot of our investments are really in the human capital aspect of the country. So... So being in public service uh, and with public service supporting the national agenda of where Singapore wants to go into. So for example, Singapore has been moving more towards being a smart nation and really embracing 
technology as well as uh, digitization. So similarly, as the public service, we also have to make sure that we are also becoming more of a smart government and more of a digital government in order to better serve our citizens and the businesses in Singapore. So that is generally the trend uh, that you're looking at. And being the single largest employer, uh, we also wanted to make sure that you know, our ambition of being really a progressive and forward-looking uh, public service, we actually try to be really a role model for other companies to look up to in terms of uh, progressive and fair people practices. Thank you, Pekim. So would you give us maybe some example, and, and of course there are so many of them in your memory lane since you've been uh, heading the PSD, which is of course the, the, the center of human capital serving public service. Tell us maybe one or two examples of some of those most impactful initiatives driven by the human capital team, your team, that have not only created an impact at the at a, at a national level, but then has become a practice in organizations. So if you could share maybe one or two examples would be fantastic. Well, the, the example that comes to mind, uh, one of the first examples would really be you know, Singapore's emphasis on making sure that our workforce is skilled to be ready for the future. So a lot of emphasis on how do you continue to invest in the workforce and continue to develop in the workforce so that they are going to become more employable for longer time. Okay. So at the national level, we have actually put money where our mouth is so every Singaporean will have a $500 and now $1,000 uh, into your skills future funds. Okay. So if you work in an organization where the organization is saying that, you know, I don't have the budget to send you for this particular training and you may not want to come up with your own money, then by all means, tap on the skills future fund to upgrade yourself. And as Singapore's longevity is getting to be, oh, we have one of the longest longevity in the world. And we do expect that, you know, increasingly people are living longer. And, uh, you know, my children and my, my grandchildren in the future will probably live to be 100 years old. So, um, and also because of our low fertility rate, we do have an issue of aging workforce. So, so it is important for us to make sure that we have people, uh, people who have traditionally people think of retirement age, but right now we are really looking at, you know, how can you continue to be productive, continue to be healthy so that we actually have uh, healthy longevity. And, and that would be something which also the public service would tend to want to take a lead. So one example would be when the Ministry of Manpower says that, you know, we should look at um, uh, hiring people or increasing the re-employment age or the retirement age. Uh, public service would say, yeah, let me take a lead. You know, if you're going to start in 2023, uh, let me start a year earlier. Okay. 
So, so this is where we would like to have the private sector organizations uh, take a look at the public service and say, well, if the public service can do it, I think so can I. <laughs> How is this model helped private sector? Because uh, probably Singapore is the only country that actually has this model where a lot of that experimentation actually happens first at the national level and then it goes to the private sector. In most countries, and please uh, permit my ignorance if that's not the case, but in most countries, the other way around is the private sector who leads human capital practices and experiments, and then it reaches the government organizations probably way later. So what are some of the advantages uh, of, of this model? And, and maybe if, if I may, any disadvantage that you, that you can see? Well, uh, I, I would say there are, there are always advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the fact of the matter is Singapore's public service is one where we have intentionally made it such that we are not the employer of last resort. Okay. So when people join the public service, uh, we actually tell them that, you know, we pay market rates. We, we don't shortchange you and pay you peanuts and, and expect you to deliver, um, you know, high expectations on you. So, so because... Uh, like many, many countries or many people will say that, you know, public service have no bottom line and all that. Uh, I, I beg to differ. Uh, we also have our KPIs. Okay? And the, the big difference is, you know, coming from the private sector, uh, if you want to implement anything, you kind of just get approval from your president or your CEO. And it's like a phone call away. Yeah, go ahead and implement it. Uh, and in public service, because we are spending taxpayers' money and we are accountable to not just your CEO uh, or your company stakeholders, but you're accountable to every, everybody. So there's a high level of uh, transparency and fairness involved. And whatever we should decide to spend on, we have to be very conscious and be very prudent that we are spending taxpayers' money. So it has to be able, and we are subject to public scrutiny, right? So, so that actually keeps us on our toes. Okay. So whatever we are, do, uh, we are doing and whatever practices we have, uh, we cannot have a very laissez-faire policy and say, oh, if you feel like it, go ahead, you know, go take a day off, that kind of thing. Uh, because, you know, if you do it for one organization or for one employee, uh, other employees will see it as, hey, how come you, that, that particular benefit is not extended to me? So you're not being fair to me, so to speak. So, so, so those are some of the, the differences. And I think because of how we have set up the Singapore public service uh, to be one which is not an employer of last resort, and we do compensate people fairly, so we are able to actually do expect quite a lot from our public officers uh, and, and, and people would take pride that they are part of a very progressive organization and there are also platforms and avenues for them to um, give ideas or suggestions. So like I said, you know, we are very open to public scrutiny and if a particular agency does uh, a practice that is not very progressive, uh, it is, you know, you, you will see it in the papers and not just in Glassdoor. 
So, so yeah. there are different levels of escalation for people to bring it up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Becky. And I'm fascinated as I hear you. And because I, I, I see the paradox. On the one hand, the organization is a progressive organization attracting the best possible talent and with that sense of pride of really uh, innovating and being at the forefront. Uh, and at the same time, you mentioned that, of course, there is a lot of um, responsibility as well. Because yes. that's, as you said, taxpayer money and, uh, and and very, very open to the public. How do you balance that paradox? How do you manage, um, you know, this agility, progression, innovation? And at the same time, you know, as you said, there is no laissez-faire. There is no ability to take decisions, you know, uh, at, like you may have in private sector. So how do you manage that paradox organizationally? Well, I think that's where uh, the HR's job is very important. As in, how do you then create the environment where it's safe for people to take risks and safe for people to experiment? So, so we do use quite a fair bit of uh, um, what we would call uh, design thinking, where you come up with an idea and then you prototype. You know, start small and then you try to scale and see how to operationalize it. And, and, and this comes across as um, for, for us, really, how do you in HR then create that safe environment where you allow people to experiment and try? And it's, it's okay to make mistakes once in a while. Just don't repeat the same mistake. Uh, and, and you do encourage. So we do have platforms where we encourage people to be innovative. Uh, we give rock guidance. For example, in the public service, we had uh, a challenge that we wanted to, you know, uh, because everybody is busy, right? And everybody is crazy busy. Uh, so if you think about, actually, what are you crazy busy with? How are you spending your time? Because all of us only have 24 hours. And, and we gave our employees or officers, as we call them, the challenge of, you know, see if you can, you know, within a year, see how you can change or innovate uh, and see if you can help to save hours for yourself in public service or for our clients or our customers, which are citizens or businesses. Okay. So we call it a million dollar, a million hour challenge. Okay. So we say, okay, let's, let's try within this year, see if we can save a million hours. So, so everybody, rather than crazy busy, you kind of rethink of, well, actually, do I need to do this? Uh, is there a better way of doing it? Can I be a bit more productive? And, and I kid you not, I think in, in the public service, when we put our hearts and minds into it, and, and when you harness it together, uh, not only are we able to save a million hours, uh, we could do it in actually half the time. That we set for ourselves okay and this is this is as simple as uh for example you know in the past we used to have to go to the land transport authority to renew our road tax and all the, so, so on and so forth and when everything is digital you don't have to do that anymore so it saved not only the officers time in processing but it actually saves our citizens' time in traveling up and down in order to do some of these uh, 
uh, renewal of uh, road tax and insurances and all that. So, so, like I said, once you set that clear vision of what we are trying to achieve, and, and because it was so successful, you know, in the following year and all that, we actually stretched the target to 3 million hours and we achieved it. So, so these are things where, you know, it's, sometimes it's easy to say, but it's not so easy to operationalize. And, and HR plays a key role, like I said. How do you then create that safe environment for people to raise uh, some of these uh, ideas that they may have? And how do you form even smaller teams across different agencies so that you can leverage on each other's uh, talent pool? Implementing some of these initiatives to create a culture of experimentation and safe uh, failings safely, what would be the two, three things that have helped you operationalize that? At a, at, a, at, a, at a such scale, because it's a very, very large scale and that two very, very different talent uh, characteristics, very different companies within public sector. So there's so much complexity. What has helped you operationalize some of those initiatives? So that will be my first question. And my second question is, when you look back at this million hour challenge, maybe a personal example, something that you realized yourself personally that I can save this time. Uh, if you could bring a personal example. Yeah, so, so you know, the other thing about public service is uh, we are in service of the public and we have three core values of integrity, service and excellence. So when we hire people, we hire people for these three core values and also for the competencies that they bring into a job. So, so in public service, if you look at it, Fundamentally, it is really public service for good. You know, I'm being paid to do good <laughs> in a country that I live in. Uh, what more can you ask for in a job, right? <laughs> so, so when we create any environment, uh, fundamentally, we believe that everybody wants to do a good job. Okay. So all you need to do is ensure that you give them an environment that is safe, give, equip them with the right skills, Okay. Give them the right platform. And, and if you need to create sandboxes for them to do it, uh, and you then leave them to go do their magic. And like I said, with the core values of integrity, service, excellence, okay, uh, people come with the right kind of purpose of why I'm in public service, okay, with high level of integrity. Okay, I come with the view of I want to serve. Okay. And also, whatever I'm doing, I want to be excellent in it. Not perfect, but excellence, which is a lot of difference, right, between perfection and excellence. And with that, you know, you just let people play. Okay. So in many cases, I think in many organizations, not just in public service, HR's job is really to help sometimes remove barriers. Okay. So as we build platforms, we also have to learn to start to remove barriers. Okay. In many organizations, departments tend to hoard their own talent. Because, you know, this is my KPI. This is my expenditure on manpower. This is my headcount, which I which I've worked so hard to justify to get this headcount. And if you say, you know, can you transfer two people over to me to do this particular job? And they say, 
oh no, you know, especially if it doesn't contribute to my KPI, right, to my bottom line. So HR's job is remove some of these barriers. What is stopping people from sharing resources? Okay, so you can create platforms where we, we create things like, you know, we call it uh, one talent gateway or what we call structured job rotation. Okay. And, and we know that people who exhibit that excellence mentality okay, would want to continue to keep growing, to learn. And if I'm doing the same job and doing well for the last five years, is there something else that you can do that can give you a different learning exposure and learning opportunities? So we have a structured job rotation where we say, you know, if you're doing a good job for the last five years, consider going to another department or doing something else or trying a different environment. So, so you, can, you can go on a secondment for two to three years or you can do a short-term immersion program or you can, you know, have a particular skill, do a gig project. In fact, we even are open enough in the public service to say that, you know, if you have been all your life in public service and have no clue how the private sector operates or how the private sector works, um, let us help curate an opportunity for you to go and work in the private sector. Seconded over there for six months to a year or even up to two years. Okay. And, and then after that, you come back, we'll make you a better person. Because you know things that we have grown up in a public sector arena, uh, and we look at things in a different perspective. And when you go into the private sector, be it SME or MNCs or, or what have you, uh, and you see, oh, wow, this is actually how they operate. And once you understand what the real world outside of public service looks like, that will actually give you a better um, background or makes you wiser in devising public policies that will benefit you know, the citizens and the businesses. Thank you, Peckham. And I'm uh, going to go straight to the last question, uh, which is, I know you have already given us a hint of it. So when I'm inviting you to think about the word of advice for CHROs as they look forward, and you've given us a lot of things already, but if I were to invite you to reflect about, you know, one thing to start, one thing to stop, one thing to continue, what, what will be your closing word of advice for, for our community? Well, uh, one, thing, one thing to start, if my fellow CHROs have not already done, please start investing in yourself. Okay. Uh, take time to exercise, take time to rest, to take a break, take time to learn, take time to grow. And take time to enjoy the roses, <laughs> smell the roses along the way. Okay, so so invest in yourself, especially self care. Okay, and and don't be a cobbler's children, right? Uh, one thing to stop, I would say, um, stop smoldering our leaders and let them take accountability as people leaders. Okay, uh, every manager or every leader thinks that HR's job is very easy. Yeah, it's just managing people, it's just leading people, it's very easy. So let our managers do their job, let our leaders do their job. Stop thinking that we are much better than them just because we have a CHRO title. 
and and let them let them grow and and let them build those relationships with their people. And something which I I would say you know con- to continue doing for CHROs, uh, I think continue to keep people at the center of all that we do, and and even as we go high tech and go digital, always remember high tech but yet high touch, because that's what makes us different from other professions. I really really. Thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you very, very much for being with us today. It's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much, Pekem. Did you enjoy today's episode of People Matters Unplugged? Don't forget to subscribe to our Unplugged series on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Wherever you are in your HR leadership journey, People Matters is here to empower you to become the answer. <laughs>